Welcome to League of Lit, where we discuss books, adaptations, and anything else we wish to talk about, and tie it to lit, because we can. You know what? All I really want to say about this particular episode is... Sigh no more. Ladies, sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever. Oh my goodness. I could do the whole thing, but it just feels unnecessary. I mean, we could literally do it, because one of the adaptations we will be discussing today... Does it three separate three times? times? Yeah, mm-hmm. three separate times. Yeah. So the other thing that this episode is going to do for us is take us back to the beginning of our friendship. I know. <laughs> Literally, it's been 13 years, question Roughly. mark. Yeah. Since we went and that. saw it at the Shakespeare Tavern. Which was such a good moment in my life. It's something I definitely want to do again. Shakespeare Tavern sends me emails like all the time and I'm like, I miss you. So clearly, audience, we, we're talking about a Shakespeare play. <laughs> Shockingly. We're talking about Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> which is my favorite Shakespeare play. Our collective favorite Shakespeare play. Yes. It is one of Shakespeare's comedies. It was first performed in 1612. So, you know, it, it's been around a minute. Just a minute. Just a tiny minute. A very hot minute. (laughs) A hot minute. The first time I was introduced to this, I was 12 or 13. And I, I would say that this is part of where I get some of my relationship opinions from <laughs> yes <laughs> i was thinking that earlier while i was listening to it i was like wow i am beatrice to a fault because um beatrice is oh did we do a spoiler warning oh we haven't <laughs> oh no <laughs> we got so excited this is how much we love this play y'all oh okay so real quick it is a truth universally acknowledged that we are not a spoiler free podcast so get ready <laughs> Go on. What does Beatrice do? Beatrice is one of our leading ladies. And she is... Essentially, she has sworn off men. Mm -hmm. Um, Because she has a line, and it's a line that I have memorized for decades. (laughs) A little more than a decade, really. Not quite two yet. Not quite that. (laughs) Not quite there Almost. Almost, but not quite. (laughs) Uh, which is, he that hath a beard is more than a youth, and he that hath no beard is less than a man. And he that is more than a youth is not for me. And he that is less than a man, well, I am not for him. Such a which is essentially man. saying that there is no man that is good enough for me. <laughs> well, I love it. It's, uh, it's so brilliant. really great. And then there's another line where... It's in response to someone telling her to get a husband, and she says, not till God make men uh, out of some other metal than earth. Yes, Beatrice. Tell us. Which is, you know, she she gets, you know, married at the end of the play, but that's okay. She does. It's very Shakespeare. It's very much, so the, the whole like premise of this play, it starts off with it being, okay, this is going to be about like the journey of Hero and Claudio going from being engaged to being married because they stretch it out over like a week period. And during that week, they decide, um, 
along with some of the other characters, which are um, Don Pedro, who is a prince. So he is of noble blood, very high. Like this is essentially a group of soldiers, like just coming home for more. And they're deciding to do all this. And Don Pedro decides that they are going to trick Benedict and Beatrice, who have, like, we never actually get a clear idea of what their background is with each other, but you can tell based on how they banter with each other that there is some sort of history between them. Yeah. They've quite and, obviously known each other a very long time. And something has happened yes. to where that, that's just the extent that their relationship is going to be. Yes. And so Don Pedro has decided with the help of everybody else, uh, minus a couple of characters, which we'll talk about them in a minute, um, that they are going to trick Benedict and Beatrice into liking, at least liking each other. If potentially not in love with each other. Yeah. And potentially falling in love with them. Which is, it's, I love this play because it's like classic enemies to lovers, which is so, it is such a trope. But like, I mean, think how long ago this was written. Shakespeare gave us the enemies to lover trope. He he wrote it several times Mm -hmm. and has definitely perfected it in his, in his lifetime. You know, many, 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 many moons ago. No, I mean, you just think about how many like novels that have this trope in it this is where it came from this is one of my favorite tropes it's depending on how this play is performed because that is the thing about any play is that it's meant to be performed it's not meant to be read um and so depending on how the actors choose to perform it it could be a oh, this is truly a, like, we actually are, like, bitter enemies kind of deal. Or mm-hmm. it's a, we're friends enough, we've been friends long enough to where we can take these kinds of jabs at each other, yeah. and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And it is so interesting. We're, we're going to talk about several adaptations, but everybody does it just a little differently, and it changes the way the story kind of works in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've all decided that they're going to make Benedict and Beatrice fall in love with each other. Sounds perfect. Sounds easy. Whatever. <laughs> While this is going on, because, you know, this bulk of the play is just us listening to Benedict and Beatrice hate each other and then like each other. Um, you also have John John, who is Don Pedro's bastard brother, has decided for some, again, sort of convoluted reason because he's bored. Again, it's one of those things you don't get that much information about it. I mean, he does have a whole monologue about how he is a plain dealing villain. But like, it literally is just because he's bored. <laughs> yes. He's like, we're going to make it so that Claudio and the prince, Don Pedro, think that Hero has been unfaithful, that she is not a maiden. Yes. And then Claudio... We'll make this big old scene and shame Hero and she'll die. Yeah. Boom. Uh. He's so excited about it. Don John just like chooses to prey on Claudio's insecurities, which we don't really get an idea of 
like what those insecurities are. And each adaptation kind of takes it a different way. I, I know mm-hmm. that there's one that like just claims that he has a jealous streak. And then like there are others where you just see in the way that it's played out mm-hmm. that he's just an insecure human being. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it is true. You said it earlier. Plays are meant to be watched and not read because every single character can be played differently every single time. Mm-hmm. And it shapes the plot of the play. I mean, the plot of the play will always be the same. It will always end the same way, but it shapes how you get there differently every time. Absolutely. And he he's doing this by using like a, a sort of minion, one of his... Yeah, so Don John has two companions, Baraccio and Conrad. And it's Baraccio that brings, like, the information to Don John about the intended marriage and the fact that he actually has a way to cross it. So, like, you can see that he has two friends, for lack of a better term, because I don't really know if they actually are friends. Don John at least pays these people to help him create mischief. He pays, like, a good amount, too. Yes, a thousand ducats. Which, like, a lot to a poor man. If I knew exactly, like, what the yeah, exchange I don't know rate would be are. for a ducat, like, it, this is just where I don't know that kind of thing. But if I did know that, it, f- it feels like it would be a lot, just because a thousand of anything sounds like a lot. So Baraccio's idea is that he is sort of in bed with for lack of a better term, with heroes. She's just like a handmaiden, isn't she? The lady-in-waiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lady-in-waiting. Um, And he is going to go and see her in Hero's bedroom and, and call her Hero while they are doing things. In flagrante. <laughs> <laughs> one of us went adult with it and the other one was a 12-year-old. Um... <laughs> And so, of course, that goes about as well as you could believe that it would go, which leads us to the wedding. <laughs> the first where wedding. there's, yeah, where there's a bunch of disgrace, and it's always interesting to see how the actors who are playing Claudio take it, mm-hmm. because some get like physically violent with it, and then there are others that are just like you can hear it in their voice, mm-hmm. and yeah. so it's it's always interesting. It is. Claudio has disgraced Hero. He's left. She's fainted. Might be dead. We're not sure. Beatrice is freaking out. Hero's father, Leonardo, is mad. Mm -hmm. Same again with him watching actors portray his portrayal of... Because at that point, he's like, why would these men lie? Right. Which, like, is specifically sexist. (laughs) But the thing is, is you have to think about Don Pedro's position in life. Because of where he is at in life, if if Don Pedro had said, oh, I don't believe this, then Leonardo probably would not have been half as mad mm-hmm. and would have just written yeah. off Claudio as some sort of unstable human being. Yes. But because Don Pedro backs Claudio up, he believes it. So they decide, with the help of Friar, which is very on brand, that they're going to pretend as if Hero has actually died. And that in doing that, it will take away the disgrace. They'll figure out what's going on and it'll make Claudio and the prince feel bad. 
And then after they've decided that, Beatrice and Benedict get some time alone. <laughs> and they both confess that they love each other. After having been tricked by their friends into thinking the other one loves them. Yes. Which, of course, at that point just brings about their real feelings. Like, yes. they're just seeing what is actually true. Well, it's like, and this is where you can go so many different directions with the level of banter that exists between them that it could very well be that that's always been there that they had a relationship at one point in time and something happened, so it didn't work. And it could have just yeah. been very well, like something was starting before they went off to war. And then when they came back, it's like, eh, it's still there. <laughs> but we're not, we're not going to acknowledge it. And in that time, Beatrice essentially decides, Benedict says, what can I do to prove that I love you? Dangerous words. Very dangerous. She says, what is one of my favorite lines, if only for the way that Emma Thompson plays it? Mm -hmm. Kill Claudio. Like, literally, you see a shift in the way that she does it Ooh. that you don't see in any other adaptation. And oh, my God. It's great. It's borderline stone cold in the way that she it's does it. crazy. I love it. Um, so, of course, Benedict's like, that's my friend. <laughs> um, no matter what he's done. He's still, like, a human being. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, fine. Well, you don't love me. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, the shift. The shift is great. Um, and then he agrees to do it. Yep. Willie, though. Willie, though. I mean, we, we don't get I to think, see that version of the play. So. <laughs> I think just because of the way that a lot of Benedicts play it, you get the sense that he doesn't think that it'll actually happen. I think he. you get the sense that he doesn't... He truly believes that she doesn't actually want Claudio to die. She's just really upset. I think you get that too, but I, I don't think, like, when he goes to, like, challenge Claudio, I don't get the sense that he thinks it's actually going to be something that happens. Yeah. Baraccio and Conrad have been <laughs> taken in by the night watchman um, and the constable, who is always a fun character. Dogberry. I love him. He has um, such a weird name. And I don't know that I've ever. He's such a weird ever, human. <laughs> like, besides the fact that, like, his lines are clearly meant to, like, probably play into how almost everyone plays him kind of the same way. Yeah. Of being this very unstable and hard to understand person. Maybe a, a little stupid. <laughs> and so Conrad and Baraccio have been taken in by him because the Night Watchman overheard Baraccio telling Conrad all about how he fooled the prince and Claudio into thinking that Hero was being a terrible person. Yep. They're going to take him to Leonardo and essentially tell him what they know and of course at that point they don't know what all else is going on right and so they go to leonardo and leonardo's like i don't have i don't have time for this but what is it <laughs> because you don't have time for for anything that that man is gonna say when he opens his mouth it's gonna well, go on forever and on top of that he literally shows up right as they're preparing for the wedding and if you just think about how weddings go anyways, 
Yes, yes. You don't really have time for anything extra on the yeah. day of the wedding. No, absolutely not. Um, and so he says, go take it before somebody, get it figured out, and then come back. Mm-hmm. And so they do. And so the wedding goes on, and obviously we've already talked about what happens there, which, like, this whole thing could have been prevented. <laughs> it's also very Shakespeare to have one thing that could have prevented it all. I think that's true for a lot of stories. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a plot device. Yep. So they take Conrad and Baraccio to the Inquisition where I don't know <laughs> what goes on in um, that man's head, but I don't really want to know what goes on in his head because he just talks. It's one of those where... He thinks he's making sense, but what yes. actually comes out of his mouth does not make sense. Mm-hmm. Because he's just talking about whatever, and the Inquisitioner's like, bring bring the Night Watchmen. They heard it. <laughs> like, I need the witnesses. I think it shows how infrequently anything of this kind happens. So, therefore, he doesn't have, like, oh, this is just how it goes. And so they finally get out the whole story and the Inquisitioner's like, we have to, like, Hero's dead. Like, all of this stuff has happened. We have to go tell everybody. And in this scene is one of my favorite moments in this play. <laughs> you know what I'm going to reference. I think so. It is when Conrad <laughs> continues to tell Dogberry that he is an ass. Over and over. And he gets so mad about it. He's like, write down that I am an ass. Make sure you remember that I am an ass. <laughs> like, Dogberry just gets so riled up by it. And it's like... And everything that has okay. just happened, that's the thing that he wants to hold on to. So, Benedict goes to Claudio and the prince and is all, I can't be with you people anymore. I can't work with y'all anymore. And Claudio, use a villain. Use a villain. I said it and I meant it. Claudio and the prince are like, hold on a second. He's actually for real. And he sort of challenges Claudio. Mm -hmm. eh, yep. Ish. Um, and this is after um, Leonardo and Antonio have already approached them and let them know that Hero is dead. Yeah. So it's already, there's a lot of emotion. And then we get the Inquisition all coming in. Like, oh my gosh, it was Don John and Baraccio, sort of Conrad, he was there. And Hero has been slandered, and it was not her fault. And Claudio is distraught. Rightly so. I, and I think, because you can d definitely see it with the 93, and how with every time he, Claudio hears that Hero is dead because of what he told her, you can see him slowly breaking down. And so when he finally hears it from Baraccio that it was his fault and that he's the reason why Claudio ended up doing what he did, he just can't handle it anymore. He now feels all of the guilt because I think it was like a small amount of guilt that was growing and it just finally became too much and it and he just broke. That's so sad. Um, and so Claudio and the prince go to Leonardo and they're like, we're so sorry. We are the worst. We are not worthy. We are worms. <laughs> Sorry. I have a lot of references today. And 
they're like, what can we do? Like, we'll do anything. We're so like broken by what has mm -hmm. happened. And Leonardo's like, well, you can go to Hero's grave. You can write this beautiful thing for her and hang it up. And then tomorrow morning, you can come and you can marry my niece who looks exactly like Hero. So they go to the church in whatever adaptation you're watching. And Leonardo brings in these women, all veiled. You don't know what they look like. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is the girl you're going to marry. And Claudia's like, let me see your face. And he's like, no, you have to agree to do it first. Mm -hmm. And he does. And then she pulls up the veil and it's the actual hero. And she has such a beautiful like little monologue right here at the end that just kind of show it's really a, a beautiful picture of just how like, okay, this is the part of our relationship that is done. Like in a way, this is me forgiving you of thinking this horrible thing about me. And, you know, and it just, it's a, it's just a great like little bow on the end of the, all these like horrible events that yeah. is now going to be better because clearly Claudio and Hero are just too darn cute and they need to be together. They do. They really do. I used to want to be Hero. I grew into Beatrice, but I used to want to be Hero. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever wanted to be Hero. <laughs> no, I don't think you did either. You've always been Beatrice. <laughs> um, and so they're all happy. Everything's going great. And then Benedict's like, oh, Beatrice, let's get married. And she's like, I don't love you. Yep. And <laughs> because they're in public now. It's a different story. Yep. And Benedict's like, well, I don't love you. <laughs> yep. And then both Hero and Claudio, like, pull out little pieces of paper where both Benedict and Beatrice have written things that are, like, declarations of love about the other person. And so it's it's showing how all this trickery actually came into, uh, into something fruitful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love the, the end of the play when um, Benedict looks at Don Pedro and is like, you look sad. Get thee a wife. <laughs> and it's such a shift from at the beginning of the play where Benedict is all, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be a bachelor for all of my life. And it's like, eh. just goes to show, right person, can change your mind. Yep. So that is the play. Let's get into these adaptations. Alrighty. So we have, you know, quite a few. The first one that I came across was from 1967. And it was directed by Alan Cook and adapted by Robert Graves. It has Dame Maggie Smith as Beatrice. I have to watch this immediately. I would love to be able to find a spot to watch this. I just found that this was like when I was looking on IMDb. This is what I found. I'm going to find this. I swear I am. And then you have one in 1984, which was directed by Stuart Burge. Didn't recognize any of the actors on that cast list. So we will... Move on from that one. Mm -hmm. Then you have um, one in 1973, which is directed by uh, Nick Havinga. I'm thinking that's how you say his last name. I don't know. All right. Um, again, not really a, a notable cast, with the exception of who plays Benedict, which is Sam Watterson, who was from Law and Order. Oh, wow. What a life choice they made casting Sam Watterson. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Moving on from that one. I'm not going to yep. talk about her no more. 
And then I think the next one that I had written down to talk about is the 93, which I think I could safely say is our favorite. It is. Yeah, it's I've I've seen it the most. I mm-hmm. could tell you scene for scene what happens in that movie. Yes. And this and one was adapted by and directed by Kenneth Branagh, who is our favorite. <laughs> Um, and he also, you know, played Benedict in this adaptation. And you have Emma Thompson, Beatrice, who was his wife at the time. And then you have this is um, Kate Beckinsale's theatrical debut mm-hmm. as Hero. Um, and then you have Robert Sean Leonard as Claudio. Mm-hmm. And you have Denzel Washington as Don Pedro. Which was crazy. I remember the first time I ever watched it being like, that's Denzel Washington. And you have Keanu Reeves as Don John. And that's Keanu Reeves in quite possibly not the best role he's ever played. <laughs> but the thing is, is out of all of the Don Johns I've seen, I think he does it really well. Like I do. I, I just think for I, Keanu, it's such an odd choice. I love the way that he like delivers the I am a plain dealing villain speech. Yes. Yeah. Um, other notable actors, you have Michael Keaton as Dogberry. Love him as Dogberry. He's so, <laughs> he's so funny so as Dogberry. So good. So funny. And um, and then you have Imelda Staunton as Margaret. I know. Which is this- so funny um, going from, because I saw, um, I saw this before I saw any of the Harry Potter movies. And so going from her being innocent little Margaret to Umbridge. It's a difference. It's a difference. Yeah, no, it's a difference. The range of this woman. And she's about to Um, play Queen Elizabeth on the crown. So, you know. This adaptation is just perfect. (laughs) It is. And it it opens with Emma Thompson reading the Say No More um, little bit that comes from this from the play and that's something that like shows at like three different points it's at the beginning it's at the end and then it's like at one point kind of near the middle yeah when they're um when claudio and don pedro are going to convince (laughs) benedict while he's hiding that (laughs) beatrice is in love with him um it plays right before that yes and i just think there's something kenneth brauna is him and Emma Thompson, you know, despite the fact that they're not together anymore, <laughs> are Sad. such a great Beatrice and Benedict. Their chemistry is flawless. Because there has to be a certain amount of really just natural chemistry between the two people that play them. In order to be able to sell the the banter correctly, you have to have that level. Exactly. And it's so interesting watching it now, knowing where most of these actors are. Mm-hmm. To watch, like, baby Kate Beckinsale be here, I'm always like, wow, this is such a weird moment in time. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I could technically, I I could really talk about this adaptation forever. But the truth is, it's fantastic. It's Kenneth Branagh. It's Emma Thompson. (laughs) I like some of the imagery that just comes from Shakespeare's lines anyways. Specifically, is it not strange that sheep's guts should hail souls out of men's bodies? Which is one of the lines that's said like during this portion of the play, which the first time 
I ever like heard that. I just thought it was funny because that's just sound that's a very like funny image in your head. But it's a a way it's a commentary on the impact that music has on people because at that point in time the strings for any like stringed instrument was made out of sheep's guts. Yeah. So there's your little fun historical fact for the day. <laughs> Shakespeare was all about imagery. He loved being able to just I'm going to tell you this and then you're going to have to Google this fact later. (laughs) (laughs) Except there was no Google then. (laughs) In 400 years, you're going to be Googling this fact. And then when we, when we get to Dogberry, there's a lot of like Monty Python-esque-ness to his whole existence. The way he runs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's like they're pretending to ride horses. They have horses. They just, they just don't have the coconuts to, <laughs> to make it actually sound like they are riding horses. And everything that Michael Keaton does in this portrayal of Dogberry is so flawless. He, I've never seen him do anything quite as um, loud, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> as playing Dogberry. Because he's just, he'll get all up in your face. It's very physical. It's very physical. He's very physical comedy in this movie. The next adaptation, this is more of like a stage production um, that was recorded and then shared. It happened in uh, 2011, and it has David Tennant as Benedict and Catherine Tate as Beatrice. And I love them in this production. I will say I watched that for the first time getting ready for this. I'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. And I was dying. It was so brilliant. They modernized it, but it was done well. And I was just, I mean, David Tennant, listening to him beeb, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but all I want to do is listen to this man talk for two hours. Mm-hmm. It was so brilliant. And the way they play off of each other, and again, they'd already been in something together they worked on doctor who together um but the way that they play off of each other is again that perfect they just have natural chemistry they do they really do and they played it almost a little bit more especially on Catherine's side with a little bit more disdain Mm -hmm. than the 1993 version there was it seemed like she really did not like benedict it i feel like she was digging like whatever past Catherine had created to like get into the character of Beatrice there was clearly either it was a previously like they tried to date at one point in time and he just really messed up and so this was just how she responded to him being in existence because there was no way for them to avoid being around each other or that was there was something else that happened in Beatrice's life that made Catherine respond that way yeah as as Beatrice and so this the way that they did this and the way that they modernized it the physical comedy for everybody in this production was a lot higher well and I think to an extent that's also because it's a stage production so there are certain things that have to be exaggerated more than you would 
in a film adaptation. So that's where it gets a little difficult to like yeah. compare it to the 93 because the 93 is purely film. It's not a stage production that was recorded. There's a wonderful moment where David Tennant gets covered in paint. Catherine gets strung up and bounced from the ceiling to the floor. I love the first time we actually like meet Benedict. David Tennant comes in on a golf cart that's covered <laughs> in the Union Jack <laughs> with a horn that sounds like the Duke of Hazards. Yes, it's going. <laughs> it's so dumb. And so I love when he's talking to the prince and Claudio about how he'll never marry. And he's like taking the, <laughs> the golf cart and he's like backing up, talking for a little bit, driving. And then he's like backing up because he can't get off stage. <laughs> yes. It's a brilliant. Um, I loved Tom Bateman, who played Claudio. His Claudio was, I was like, okay. He's already in love with this girl, already really there. And again, he sort of goes the same way as in 1993. When he gets upset, he gets a little bit more physical. Mm -hmm. I will say, I have to, this just came into my head. When she's getting married, is she wearing an exact replica of Lady Diana Spencer's wedding dress? Was it meant to be? Because she, her mask at the masquerade party is Diana. And I was like, did they do this on purpose? I, I feel like it was probably something that was a choice by the costume designer. Because it was great. <laughs> I got a good laugh out of it. I, I honestly, I wasn't super crazy about um, Sarah McRae, who plays Hero. Um, yeah, there, she's... There felt... There seemed to be more of an edge to a lot of heroes lines that she added and like to an point like when she's in the wedding dress she comes across like a bridezilla yeah and i don't know i just i love the idea that hero is actually this like calm sweet like peacemaker kind of character that she just wants everyone to be good it's not a oh my gosh, if you don't do it my way, we're going to have so many problems, which is how yeah. I felt like some of her lines came across. She was definitely probably my least favorite in the play. Hero doesn't talk that much in the play, right? which I think worked in their favor with her. Yes. Because um, it's so odd. The other three sort of main parts of the two couples have a lot of lines. And Hero dies in the play. So, like, dies. She dies. Yeah. So, it just felt like Shakespeare was like, no, we don't really need her to be a big part of all of this. And then one of the other things that I thought was odd about this production is instead of having the character of Antonio, who is Leonardo's brother, they replaced that character with Leonardo's wife. It was very... I was I was watching it and I was like... Did I read this play wrong? I've read this play. Like, the only time you ever hear Leonardo mention his wife is when Don Pedro asks Leonardo, is this your daughter? Yeah. And his My response is, her me. mother hath many times told me so. There's a lot of those lines that come from Antonio that sounded weird coming from a female. Like... And I wonder, I wonder if that was a choice that they made on purpose or did they just not find anybody to play Antonio? I feel like it was probably a choice that was made to, in, a, in the attempt for modernization. 
uh, it just, I don't know, it just felt weird because especially like in the moment when like Antonio's getting upset about, you know, about Hero's death because he's like, it's like, God knows I loved my niece. Like, it sounds weird when it's like, God knows I loved my daughter. Like, great. I agree, though. I, I feel like there was no need to to change out the gender of that character. Yeah. There are some characters that you can get away with that, and but that's not one of them, in my opinion. Yeah. Moving on, we have, and I'm not clear if this is 2012 or 2013, because according to IMDb, it was 2012, but I distinctly remember it being, like, advertised about being in theaters in 2013. I remember mm-hmm. it being, quote, released for my 21st birthday. But this is Joss Whedon's adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, which was shot at Joss Whedon's house, done in 12 days in October of 2011 in secret. Like, nothing was announced until they had, like, finished principal photography. Joss Whedon's an odd <laughs> duck, so that makes Very. sense. <laughs> And Thanks. So like, and like that this tracks. was happening at the same time that he was in the middle of doing Avengers. Yeah. And so some of the cast that you have in this adaptation is um, you have Amy Acker as Beatrice, Alexis Adinisov. I'm not really sure how you say his last name. And I'm um, he was in Buffy. So. Yeah, and Amy Acker was in um, Angel. Was she? Yeah, I think I missed that when I. Um, and then as Leonardo, you have Clark Gregg, who we all know as Agent Coulson from Love Avengers me. and Love Agents me. of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that jazz. And then Don John with Sean Mayer and Dogberry as Nathan Fillion. Both were in Firefly. Also Nathan Fillion. Yeah, Nathan Fillion's done a lot of things. But as far as like it, a lot of these actors that were in this had already been in other projects that were done by Joss Whedon. This is one of those adaptations that does actually add a little bit to the background of Benedict and Beatrice. Mm-hmm. So we they go the route that Benedict and Beatrice actually dated at one point in time. Because this is a modernization, but they still keep all of the Shakespearean language. And this is also all shot in black and white. Which, I don't know, I don't think that took anything away from it, but I also don't think it added to it. Yeah. No, I, definitely... I just think it was a movie shot in black and white. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this is the adaptation that I was talking about as far as like changing the gender of a character. Conrad is played by a female in this adaptation, which considering how insignificant that character is, mm-hmm. it's one that you can Again, get away it, with. Like it he works just calls fine. Dogberry an ass a lot, so it's okay. This isn't like my favorite adaptation. I remember being excited about it because I like the things that I've seen that Joss Whedon has done, but I wasn't, I was a little let down by this one. Yeah. Joss Whedon for me has always been a, either I love what he's doing or I've been a little let down. And I think part of it is just because it's hard to top Kenneth Branagh. (laughs) Truly. Truly. And so it just didn't do it for me. Alrighty, and then we get into the world of, surprise, surprise, web series. <gasps> oh my god, shocking that we would be talking about a web series. <laughs> uh, so in 2014, there, uh, this group of kids in New Zealand, um, they call themselves the Candle Wasters. 
and they created an ad- a modernized adaptation called Nothing Much to Do. Overall, like the adaptation's not bad. Like I think yeah. they they I think they did a solid job with bringing it to a modern audience. I will say I was not a fan of how many channels you have to like so you had to have been subscribed to in order to capture everything. Yeah, it's very oddly structured. Like you have a channel that is Beatrice and Hero. You have a channel that's Benedict, which you also get like glimpses of Claudio and Pedro and John. And then you have the Watch channel, which is technically owned by Ursula, who is a minor character that we haven't really talked about at all. Um, and that also is where you get some of the Dogberry content that comes through. And I don't know, I just felt like there was an awful lot to like follow all over the place. Yeah, it's definitely they they should have done a better job of structurally putting it all together. If I like follow Beatrice and Hero and Benedict, I'll get everything. Like there are certain aspects of the story that you miss by not being subscribed to the watch. But in all honesty, the watch videos were my least favorite. Yeah. Like even they're not it, nearly as exciting as you think they should be. They have Dogberry being this like Sherlock, like Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock wannabe. Yeah. And that won't really work. But I love uh, who they have as Benedict and Beatrice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harriet Murray and Jake McGregor. They have great chemistry. They're really good with the banter. Like, it's it's just great. Mm-hmm. I, no, I love them. Very well done. Um, Pearl Kennedy, who plays Hero, is absolutely sweet. Reminds me of Kate Beckinsale a little bit. And just, like, the way that she portrays Hero. Like, they, yes. they f- feel very similar. And then... I like how in this one, they kind of created Balthazar a little bit more of a character. He has a little bit more of a presence in this one. And he actually, like, he is a musician. And so at one point, they have him cover Sign No More by by Mumford & Sons. And then there's another video of him, like, creating his own kind of um, rendition of the little, like, sonnet that is um that's done from the play and i think it's really good um and this is the one where they they play on the fact that like claudio apparently has a jealous streak but you have no understanding as to why why you just like he's jealous okay there's levels of plot holes that exist in the way that they tried to bring this um bring this to existence i mean to an extent there's also plot holes in shakespeare but because of the way that it's woven together you don't necessarily realize it unless you're really looking at it. Yeah. I love the fact that, it, like, for a decent amount of Benedict's vlogs, he does it from a bathtub. It's very, it's <laughs> such an odd choice, but it works really well. It works so well for him. You're like, why is he in the bathtub? You know what? I don't care. <laughs> Which, you know, to each their own. Vlog from where you want to vlog from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it works for Benedict. It does. He's a sort of quirky character where when he's a little odd, like um, 
this version and I think the David Tennant version also do a, does a really good job of sort of making him this kind of odd duck that you're not really like sure. Like in David Tennant mm-hmm. is playing the piano. Yeah. And is like singing that little song and is actually playing when the saints go marching in and he realizes <laughs> yes. then he's a set and then he plays with it and he's like starts to play that song and he can make it faster and he can make it slower and he can make it faster. It's sort of the same concept of like, why would he be in a bathtub? Because he can. Exactly. <laughs> because he wants to. Exactly. One thing I think is interesting how every adaptation handles is the quote rejection yeah. that Beatrice um, gives to Pedro when like she's half complaining but not like in all seriousness complaining about the fact that she isn't she's not going to be desirable for a husband and because the it because she's saying that she is sunburnt which at the time it was very bad to be to have any kind of tan because that meant that you were more than likely of lower class and had to work and so like that's where the whole like, oh, because I am sunburnt. I shall sit in a corner and cry hey-ho for a husband. And then like Beatrice and Don Pedro have this entire conversation about how Don Pedro's father got excellent matches. And he like offers himself. He's like, will you have me? And she says, no, unless I can have another for working days. Your grace is too costly to wear every day. And every adaptation handles it differently. Yeah. And like in Nothing Much to Do, it feels like it's a low blow. Like, oh, like th- this is going to actually like make our friendship awkward now. Yeah. Or, like and in the 90s. Out and, mm. Yeah. Where like in the 93, I feel like. It was just kind of a brush off. Yeah. Like, it was just kind he of was like. Slightly, a- he was slightly kidding and she was you know, fully in on the joke. Right. Like it was a half serious ask and you can just see in the way that like Denzel plays it. He is truly not hurt by the fact that that was her response. And like, and it makes that line of when he says your silence most offends me mean something different than anything else. And so it, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's no like broken relationship in the 93 because of how it's handled where you're actually nervous and nothing much to do. Yeah. That you're we're like, going to oh, have no, something else wrong friendship. on our hands. Yeah. This is truly a ruined friendship. Again, I could do this all day. I know we say that about a lot of things. <laughs> much ado is another one of those things for us that's it's a a foundation of our friendship. <laughs> Very much. Like, literally, we built on this building block. We put down much ado about nothing, and then we stood on that book together. Literally, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we went and saw it at the Shakespeare Tavern 13 years ago. It was for my 16th birthday (laughs) that we went to go see this. And for my 29th birthday, we're going to talk about it on a podcast. (laughs) Full circle. Very much. So we were 16 when we went and saw it at the Shakespeare Tavern, and here we are approaching 29. You already 29. Me, I have a few more months to go, but. It's it's proof positive that this play lives on in our hearts. It brings people together. Yes. 
watch this play where there's a lot of trickery and brings people together. <laughs> Highly I mean, recommend. It, but like, if you think about the way that the play goes, like it does oh, it bring does. them together, but there's also a little bit of breaking apart in the process of coming together, which is true of any like strong and healthy relationships. So. Just faking your own deaths over here. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's do it. I mean, Reliant K wrote a whole song about it, so. They did. <laughs> All right. So clearly Shakespeare needs to be thanked because, you know, I could talk to that man without Shakespeare. For a little bit. <laughs> the question is, without Shakespeare, would we be friends? <laughs> Probably because of Jane Austen, because Jane we Austen that as well. <laughs> it just would have taken longer to get there. A little bit. I can't even begin to thank all of the many people who have made adaptations of this. Specifically, Kenneth Branagh. Call- give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> um, We'd love to see another Shakespeare play adapted. Truly, that man has not adapted another Shakespeare play in far too long. Yeah, no, it'd be really great to see to see another one come to life. I don't know what he would do, but I'm here for I it. I don't either. Um, there's quite We'd a be few. first in line at the theater for that one. <laughs> You're like, I have my ticket. Um, but a big thank you to anybody who's who's made an adaptation of this. It's you know, it's a big undertaking to take on Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And obviously we were impressed. So <laughs> you've impressed the people that matter. <laughs> the Shakespeare fans. Yes. Here in the Shakespeare fandom, we love much ado about nothing. Yes. Um, and a big thank you, as always, to Zacharka, who made our beautiful art and who has two K's in his name. I don't know where I was going with that, but you're welcome. (laughs) Um, And to you guys, thanks for tuning in to League of Lit. If you have any suggestions for an episode, feel free to leave a comment on leagueoflit.tumblr.com.